0: WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington.
1: More information at visitbloomington.com.
0: Indiana has more than 290 school districts. Nowhere on the list, last time I checked anyway, will you find Sodom Central School District or Gomorrah Consolidated School Corporation. You might assume otherwise though, if you listen to some conservative lawmakers and a cadre of increasingly vocal social activists who seem to suggest that our state schools have embraced reading, writing, and erotica. Hi, I'm John Schwannis and on this week's show, we'll examine legislation that could, in theory, send K through 12 teachers and librarians to prison for distributing books or staging performances that feature, quote, matter harmful to minors. Who's behind this resurgent campaign to protect our children? Is it part of a larger political agenda that transcends our schools? Would the enactment of such a measure have an unintended chilling effect on Hoosier educators? And perhaps the most fundamental question, who would get to decide what's harmful? Indiana lawmakers, from the state house to your house. Has the Common Core somehow become hardcore? Put another way, do certain materials in our state school libraries pose a threat to our children's safety and well-being? And if so, is the aforementioned legislation, Senate Bill 12, the best way to address the problem? Joining me to talk about the issue are Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, Rachel Burke, President of the Indiana Parent Teacher Association, Doug Taylor, Vice President of the Indiana State Teachers Association, and Chad Heck, Advocacy Co-Chair of the Indiana Library Federation. Thank you all for being here. And I should point out, in case anyone's wondering, that you might all be, have something approximating similar positions on this issue. We did invite uh, the author of Senate Bill 12, and essentially every co-author, I believe. And, but we are at the midterm break, and perhaps it was difficult for them to make it. So I threatened to flip a coin to see which one or two of you would actually take the other side. But I won't, I won't impose that burden. I'll, I'll uh, try to uh, represent that, those views if, uh, if I can. Let me start with you, Rachel Burke. Again, you have, through your role, you know what's going on uh, through the state. Schools right. and mm-hmm. parents are talking to you, and they know what's going on. Is there a problem?
2: Overall, no. Um, parents know that they have the right to choose the books that their children read. And so because of that, parents feel very confident that if there's a book that they don't want their kid reading, normally a note goes home way ahead of time that, hey, we're going to be reading this book. If you'd like to opt your child out, please feel free. And they do so. That system's already in place. This law is solving a problem. Well, this proposed legislation is solving a problem that doesn't actually exist.
0: And, and so, But you'll acknowledge that this does happen in some places, uh, and it does trigger this kind of response from parents. Is that because I'm trying to get a, a sense of just how pervasive this is. You know, the, the, the author talks about how he's approached mm-hmm. by constituents saying that this is you know, a so very critical issue.
2: To two them. children that are currently in high school, a child that is a somewhat recent high school graduate. For all of them, um, they're in AP literature classes. They've taken a lot of high school literature classes. They have had books that notes have been sent home before. The most recent one, so it's the one that's most currently in my mind, is The Color Purple. If you want to opt your child out, please sign this. And actually, in all cases, you had to opt in. If you did not return the note, it was considered a, I want to give my child an alternative reading. Talking to my children, in all cases, every kid in the class read the book that was assigned, which is to say that either that happened or teachers are sensitive enough to this issue that if a kid is reading an alternative text, they're not being called out in class. Which is a great thing. That means that parents get the choice to choose what their kids do and don't have access to, and p- teachers are also understanding that should a parent make a choice that they don't want their kid to read a book, that child is not going to be called out or humiliated or treated as an other. Instead, they're going to read another textbook and move on.
0: And just to be clear, I, I mean, I'm going to get everybody else in this discussion, but this isn't just about textbooks. And it's like this: this is about whatever shelf has the books that.
2: Right, that, this uh, is about that library that Supporters books. of
0: this feel are, are inappropriate. Um, so right. it's, it maybe doesn't have that same sort of review process that a textbook, the preemptive sort of proactive approach. Maybe, I don't, I don't.
2: I know. Think, I think school libraries have quite a bit of review process. Um, I volunteered in a middle school library. We have someone who is far more experts on school library than I am. I volunteered in a middle school library for years upon years, and there are not textbooks there, there are not books there that are just waiting for kids to check them out to see naughty things. I'm I, I mean, going to be honest. If you work in a middle school library for long enough, you know that's what's going to get checked out is the Guinness Book of World Records. Like 30,000 copies of it. They're always going to disappear. And that's what's important, that kids have something that they want to read, that they have access this to, natural, whatever natural that, that is. National
0: Geographic photo essays mm-hmm. back in my, my, <laughs> more, in my simpler <laughs> days. Matt Pierce, let me ask you.
2: Jim Toms, the senator
0: who is the author, primary author of the bill, he said his constituents are crying out for this. Is your phone ringing? My phone is not ringing. What is crying out
3: is the alt-right QAnon conspiracy wing of the Republican Party. And we're seeing now at the state house more and more this wing of the Republican Party is rising in power. They're ascending. And they're demanding that these crazy bills get handled. And really what you have is a small minority of people who are attempting to impose their own religious and moral views on the entire community. And they're using the libraries and the schools as their cultural war battleground. So now they've brought that to the state house.
0: But what, I mean, okay, so let's say this is already passed in some other states, right? I mean, in Texas, Oklahoma, Utah, and that's not an exhaustive list, there are others. And I don't see anybody being prosecuted or charged. I mean, is it really? I mean, you probably...
3: Here's the thing. They're already in all these schools. They have elected school boards running the schools. They have administrators. They all have systems. This is not new for decades and decades, if not since schools began. There have been discussions about which books should and shouldn't be used in curriculum, which books should be in the library. And there's a process for parents who have concerns about a particular item, to bring that to the attention of school and have the discussion. What's making these people mad is they bring these books to their attention and the schools decide that they're, they're appropriate to be in the library. Now, what does this group do? They do exactly what the U.S. Supreme Court said is unconstitutional. They take a book and they pull out some small passages that might happen to have some sexual references and say, look at this, pornography. It is not pornography. They go around telling people there's pornography in their schools. There is not. What they've done is instead of taking the work as a whole and everything in context and determining does it have artistic and uh, scientific and and, um, literary redeeming value, they just want to pull out, rip out of all these works, these little passages, look at that, it's pornography. And that's not the way it works. Those books are not pornographic, and it's an outrage to have legislators going around perpetuating the idea that there's, quote, pornography in our schools.
0: Well, Chad, let me ask you, because you're not only a librarian, but you're an attorney, I believe, as well. So we've heard several people who oppose the bill saying, we already have laws in place, you kind of alluded to this, that if somebody is actually distributing uh, obscene material, pornography, that that's... That's not protected. Yes, there is the provision that, that Representative Pierce just talked about, where if it's literary, if it's cultural, if it's educational. But, I mean, that's not shielding, I don't think, a librarian or a, a teacher who's pulling out a copy of fill-in-your-blank uh, favorite magazine, not yours. But, uh, uh, I mean, is so What is there a need or... or-
1: there's really not a need we actually have a case of a teacher who was recently arrested for providing content harmful to minors and it was not a library book it was lot not a textbook or a classroom novel it was really pornographic material as people think of pornographic material and that teacher was arrested under current law and is currently facing the process and should face the process it was definitely harmful material um but That just shows the need that our current law and processes work. And
0: neither you nor your organization had any qualms about the the prosecution of that individual? Absolutely
1: not. We, We believe that we do want to keep pornography out of the hands of children, but what we have in libraries is not pornography.
0: You know, I'll go back to the sponsor. He said again uh, during the the floor debate that all he's trying to do is keep bad books away from little tykes, I think is the the phrase he used. What's wrong with keeping bad books away from little tykes?
4: I I don't see there's anything wrong. It's just the decision of which are bad. Um, This is my 31st year teaching, and I've worked with parents every year on the books that we're reading sharing the list that we're doing, just like she described. And this is a non-issue. We really have spent so much time on an issue at, at our legislature that isn't significant for the, in the life of our students, because parents already have, as has been t- discussed before, parents already have lots of avenues to challenge books or to say, I don't like this, or to choose an alternate text. Um, we're getting into that censoring of curriculum at some point with this. But the non-issue here, this distracts from the good work we should be doing for public schools. Ninety percent of our students go to Indiana's public schools, yet we're not funding them. In, In the draft budget, we're not funding public schools adequately, and we're not supporting educator voice. With the teacher shortage we have currently, we know how to fix it. Competitive pay, improved working conditions, and professional treatment and advocating for their voice. And since we don't
0: have any of the budget architects here, I feel compelled to put on my budget architect hat and say they would say that there is a historic increase, what, 10 percent for for tuition support. Now, granted, a big chunk of that goes to uh, the voucher program. So I guess we could. That's a discussion for another day. But let me ask you the, the follow up to the question about these other states where this has been in place. And maybe it's too recent, but have has there been malicious prosecution or persecution of teachers that you've seen? Because clearly the the various uh, unions are talking one with another in states where this is already in place. I'm not aware of cases where that's taken. But you take seriously the notion that that is a real possibility, that somebody could, this would be a, a uh, what, level six uh, felony, which mm-hmm. is punishable by a prison term and, and a hefty fine. So you don't think that's just uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, the worst-case scenario, the boogeyman, to sort of uh, shock people.
4: Well, what I know about the teachers I've worked with is that we are careful and intentional about our craft. And so if the legislator draws a line, legislature draws a line, it's going to have a chilling effect on what people are offering. I've already talked to high school uh, AP course dual credit teachers who are like, I don't know if I can continue to use this text given what they're talking about. And that's an
0: interesting one, because this bill exempts colleges and universities, right? It's K through 12, but dual credit, by definition, is high school students getting, taking college coursework. So I don't know, I guess that's an unanswered question in the bill about who, which, which bucket that would fall into.
3: Yeah, I mean, these groups are just not going to be happy until they see a few English teachers in jail. I mean, that's kind of how rabid they are in the whole thing. And so there is a very big chilling effect because they're trying to get a situation where you're taking away a defense that, hey, this stuff is involved in the educational process. It has educational value. They want to try to strip that out and, again, just take stuff out of context and see if they can um, get that out of the schools. How are they going to do it? They're going to do that by scaring the administrators, the school boards going to come and say, I got this new law, and you are not protected anymore. Which, by the way, the thing I heard over and over again in that hearing was, oh, if this smut were given to a child outside of the schools, they would be in jail, but they have this special loophole that lets them put all the smut in the schools. That is complete BS. You can go down the street, any teenage kid can walk into any bookstore, if they're lucky to find one in their town, and they can buy that young adult fiction that has maybe LGBTQ themes in it. And nobody is going to show up and say, that's an indecent book that you're selling there.
0: Or it could save a buck and just go on their phone.
3: Right. Well, and that's that's another thing that's interesting is... The real problem with pornography is the fact that it's so pervasive on the Internet and every kid in that school probably has a smartphone and they have ready access to all that stuff. And the question is, how do you teach kids to understand what that is and how it's not reality and that shouldn't be shaping their relationships? I mean, there are plenty of real issues that the legislature could be addressing when it comes to content and what kids are exposed for and to try to do it in a reasonable constitutional way. But instead, they've got us off on this tangent. Now, why did I call it an alt-right QAnon movement, conspiracy movement? People are either saying, like, these books are in the library because it's a communist Marxist conspiracy to undermine our very way of life. I mean, that's the level to which the legislature has now descended.
0: Well, uh, (laughs) I won't ask you that question if they've descended to to that level. But, you know, again, the backers of this bill would say this is about something the PTA should Should cherish parents' rights, parents' involvement. This is this is written with you in mind, essentially, and they're saying part of this. Not only is it the prohibition, of course, and the removal of the uh, defense uh, that we alluded to earlier, but also it sets up a complaint mechanism, formalizes a complaint mechanism that I don't know if how formal it was in the past. I think letter writers were not shy about right. sending off a note, and then I'm sure there was communication, but I don't know if there was a formal process. This does formalize that. And then there's an appeals process where, I guess, the, the objecting parent can be told no. So what's wrong with that? Isn't this giving you and other parents sort of the... Uh...
2: So first and foremost, we're called the Indiana PTA. Our membership consists of parents and teachers and students. We're a youth advocacy organization. We are here. Our goal is always to advocate for youth. And one of the most important things when it comes to reading and literacy is this fact that all youth have the inherent right to see themselves reflected in books. And that has to be a far, far more important statement that a child has the right to see their family type, the type of relationship their parents are in, the type of relationship they want to be in, in the books that they have access to, that it is for parents to be able to pull all of those books out. I'm not going to go as far as you as you respectfully, but this is and has been repeatedly shown to be an attack on LGBTQ plus content and children. And that content is absolutely necessary. Those kids, kids who identify in that way, kids whose families look like that, they need to feel accepted. They need to feel secure. They need to feel loved. They need to feel that they are part of society. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that is we have books that show that your family is perfectly acceptable, that your family is normal, that you have the right to be loved the way that you are. And that's really, as a parent, the important part. It is important that our children feel accepted. It is important that our children feel loved. And that has to be, in the end, the most important thing here.
0: I know on the floor when uh, the senator was asked the author um, examples, I didn't cite them there necessarily, but later State House File, which is a uh, news outlet uh, that serves the state, uh, went and asked later, and one of his aides gave four examples, genderqueer, this book is gay, uh, sold, which was described as a fictional account of uh, child trafficking and dead end, which was described as a gritty teen romance. Uh, Does that the fact that two of these are ostensibly about the lgbtq lifestyle and adjusting or coming to terms with that as a as a lifestyle choice at that at that early age is this proof of what this that there's another agenda at work here that uh, aside from um, just keeping smut if you want to call it uh, one of you used the term smut here earlier out of away from our children do you think
4: i i don't uh I'm not sure what their agenda is. The effect will be that those will be taken out, right? That's the effect of the policies. Um, I don't want to assign motivation to, to them, to, to other f- folks who have other decisions that they make. But when we're excluding representation for students, I think that's that's an important, important thing although, to consider.
0: Although uh, your organization hasn't been focused solely on this bill in in recent days or even this week uh, at the midpoint looking at uh, the teaching for instance coming out of the house a bill that would uh, any kind of sexual education for k through third grade Uh, then you have the uh, the notion of treatments of of uh, trans youth uh, in terms of gender affirmation proceed medical procedures again that's not school specific that's more the medical community but you look at these other bills and you think that's coincidence? Again, I'm not trying to necessarily put you on the spot, but uh, I think Representative Pierce talked about a broader agenda here. I'm guessing he might be willing to uh, say something that that, uh, the always judicious folks at ISTA uh, uh, might not.
4: Well, what has happened is, is, uh, I think in this session, is they've taken some things that were all put together in a prior session and kind of distributed them in different bills uh, so that they might be able to pass through. But, yes, the concerted effort, I could see, is there to try to minimize uh, the voices of folks, that, as you said, folks that they don't agree with. Uh, and some of those titles, some of the, uh, the bill that you mentioned, you know, we're not doing uh, the, the sexuality education in K3. It's not happening. It's a non-issue. It's another time where what what I worry about with the K3 thing is in my elementaries, we have a community group that comes in and they talk about safe touch and who you tell if, you're, if something happens that's not safe. And does that cause us not to work with this community group that has our students' best interest at heart for, for keeping them safe, um, does that change what we can do to help keep our kids safe in that K-3? to I think that the other the big concern is is the silencing of those I mean I know uh, that students who are the trans students we have um, are in a place where it is not an easy road for them to walk and yet we're acting like it's a cavalier choice and I know that when parents look for treatment for students or for their children, that they are very careful, that they're not just out there doing uh, this on a whim. The, the psychological evaluations that have to take place with a with child before anything moves forward, those are industry standard for our doctors. So I did, we're legislators trying to be doctors, trying to be psychologists, and that's not their role.
0: Well, Chair Hick, let me let you weigh in on this, too. I mean, uh, again, these issues kind of have come up nationally. It's not, I guess one would say it's, uh, even though there may be constituents in certain districts that are complaining and getting the attention of their lawmakers, it's also seeing, I don't know if how organic this is, it's also very nationally driven, it seems. Is the agenda bigger here, do you think? Uh, is social agenda, and maybe whether it's LGBTQ or just Uh, ginning up the base uh, because always the next elections around the corner I mean is there something broader at work here
1: yeah, uh, the American Library Association tracks um, book challenges, and in the last few years, uh, we've had just a, a huge, tremendous growth of challenging books in library collections. And I want to point out those four books in that collection. There's, there's this, or the four books that Senator Toms mentioned, those are not in our elementary and middle school c- classrooms. Those are reviewed for high school, and how we collect books for libraries is we read professional reviews, and that's where we decide to place them in our library collection. And those books are, I I think there's this perception among some that we're giving those very difficult topics to a fourth grader, and that's not what's happening. Those books are written for high school age, and and those are the collections they're in. Um, And I think that's an important part of this. We're not putting age-inappropriate materials in our collections. Those books are written for high school, and we have them in high school collections. Am I
0: correct uh, that, maybe not here, but nationally, that you see opposition to certain books coming not only from the right, but from the left? Absolutely. So this is not, I I should make clear, this is not picking on (laughs) any part of the, the spectrum, ideological or political spectrum. It's more about People with strong views on either side. Sure, I guess.
1: we've seen Dr. Seuss challenged in the last few years from the left, and um, and it's from been the cancel right culture, right. The political culture. And um, we need to make sure that. And, and as librarians, we're here to protect our collections you from all these regardless, attacks. I yes. mean, it,
0: it wouldn't bother you either way, or would bother you either way. That tears again. This is, okay, so it's a small bill. You've got a lot of other things on the plate, like the budget and lots of other issues. But so, you know, if this, again, what's the harm? The, the, your, your, you represent Indiana University, uh, which has the Kinsey Institute, which has also made headlines in recent days because uh your chamber voting to essentially forbid IU from channeling any state dollars, public dollars, to the Kinsey Institute, which studies human sexuality. Um but this bill doesn't deal with, with your constituents. Right. I mean, are you worried that that's the next step? Or well, what, what yeah. is the next step? If, 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 if this bill passes, I mean, I it's th- not the end of the world, right? I think if this bill passes, it will embolden people, and they'll be
3: back for more. But you know what? Even if the bill stopped here, it would concern me. Because I don't want our teachers to go into a classroom and have to live in fear that somebody's going to try to get them arrested merely for what they've selected for the reading particularly when we already have systems in place for parents to be involved in what happens in their schools and to raise objections if they have concerns. And so this is going to cause, I think, teachers and librarians to kind of rein in what they do. And, you know, a library um, and education reflects our democracy. You want a a wide array of views and ideas, and you want the students to be able to not just have a very narrow um, exposure to ideas. You want that to be very broad. And I think what this bill's ultimately trying to do in the name of you know stopping pornography is they really want to narrow down the ideas that students are exposed to. And that's, to me, the real danger here.
0: And uh, we've seen, we talked about the, how vocal mm-hmm. some of the groups, uh, parent groups, and we've Purple parents and, right. and uh, but moms for liberty, you have a large organization probably existed 100 years plus before We've they came acted, around. Yeah. So what do you do to match that in the in this next half of the session? To they're going to be rallying, they're going to be calling their their lawmakers. What what is the strategy for countering that?
2: It, it's the same strategy they have. I think it's the same strategy that all nonprofits have when they're advocating. We are we'll contact our membership. We'll ask for them to email and call their representatives since this will be going to the house next we'll testify in front of committee if it gets assigned and if the bill gets a hearing we'll ask for other people to come testify for other members of our organization um i mean we all that that's the playbook that we have right we all we, we reach out we try to talk to um our own personal members of congress we talk to committee members We're out there. Go on television
0: programs, (laughs) uh, public affairs programs. Every
2: once in a while, yeah, Yeah. when you get the email. But it's the same thing. You rally the troops. I think we all rally the troops the same way. um, And we go out there and we do that. And
0: I may have to cut you off there, only because... (laughs) Believe it or not, we filled the the time uh, and we could go on and on and on. Uh, Nobody's censoring us. We're just out of time. Um, You got the first word and the last word, though. You can settle up with them later. I thank you all for being here uh, to talk about this important issue. Again, my guests have been Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, Rachel Burke of the Indiana Parent Teacher Association, Doug Taylor of the Indiana State Teachers Association, and Chad Heck of the Indiana Library Federation. Time now for our weekly conversation with Indiana lawmakers, commentator Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter, Indiana Legislative Insight, and its sister publication, Indiana Education Insight, both part of Hanna News Service. So Ed, this bill we've been talking about, a almost identical version, has been introduced to past two or three years. Last year, it pretty much, I think, maybe mirrored this in terms of its path. It got out of the House of Origin, and that was it. Is this a year for a different outcome? <laughs>
5: Yet to be seen, John. Now, this bill, one thing that both sides agree upon is that it has a chilling effect. But each side says that it's good that it has a chilling effect. You know, if you've got the advocates saying, well, good, this will keep this out of the uh, the, the libraries, the school libraries. The detractors say, well, this will keep good things out of school libraries. So it's really an ideological bill. And a lot of the other bills that we're seeing this year are, are also some of these ideological so-called culture war bills. And we're seeing them again, just like we saw you know, SB-12 before. You know, these things are coming back. It's going to be very interesting during the second half of the session to see what Speaker Houston does in the House to kind of reign in his caucus and have him be speaker of the House, speaker of the state of Indiana, as opposed to speaker of just his caucus, because there's a growing group, a growing uh, core in his, his caucus that really are for these things and that he will have a real problem with if he doesn't let these things proceed. He's going to have a a problem keeping uh, some of the the core primary voters satisfied if if he doesn't allow these things on the floor for votes. And if they do get on the floor, then they're going to pass.
0: If he doesn't want to see this uh, and would just assume not would see it have the same fate as last session, is the argument here uh, what Matt Pierce articulated, which is, hey, we got a lot of bigger fish to fry. We've got, you know, budget. We've got this and that. Is that the, sort of the, the political cover? This is We've got too much uh, on our plate. Is that always the, the easy way out?
5: Well, yes, and this is also where the governor can, can, can come down and say, hey, well, you know, let's, let's turn our attention to some other things where I may have some problems with these bills if you send them to me, but there's no evidence that he's going to step in yet. Very interesting.
0: Ed, as always, appreciate your insights. Is it ballot security or voter suppression? Does Indiana need to tighten up restrictions on absentee voting? on the next Indiana Lawmakers. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanas, and on behalf of commentator Ed Feigenbaum, WFYI Public Media, and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more Statehouse news. Until next week, take care.